books guidance growth welcome to when to read what podcast and this is harshal your host people assume marketing has to be expensive complex and complicated they are wrong this is the very first line of the one of the most helpful books on marketing out there and the name of the book is full circle marketing hey guys welcome to when to read what podcast and i am lucky enough to talk to the author of full circle marketing when millions when is a founder and ceo of ugly mug marketing who has scaled multiple companies and helped hundreds of entrepreneurs to do the same with their companies hi when sir welcome to the show thank you so much i'm excited to be here and uh, looking forward to our conversation definitely sir so when sir has written the book Uh, to break the myth about marketing and to provide guidance and on how to market effectively but before we explore full circle marketing further so can you please start off by telling a little bit more about yourself sure absolutely so um you know i'm i'm from louisiana in the us united states um born and raised in the same town i actually was born in a hospital like literally a few blocks down the street from where my office is today. Um, you know, and over the course of, of my life, I've always been sort of entrepreneurial. I've always enjoyed business, always enjoyed, you know, kind of the challenge and the, the experience that business brings, both the, uh, you know, the challenges as well as the successes that it brings. You know, so my, my background is actually in sales. I spent several years in sales, um, kind of from there transitioned into a lawn and landscape company. So doing lawn care type of work um, and then sold that business and then began doing consulting work and then turned that into what I have today, which is a, a marketing agency called Ugly Mug Marketing. Cool, sir. So, sir, uh, now let us just start off about uh, full circle marketing. So, as I have mentioned in the introduction also, that people assume that marketing has to be expensive, complex, and complicated. So, can you please explain to our listeners why this is one of the biggest myths about marketing? Sure, absolutely. I believe what happens so often, um, you know, for entrepreneurs, for business owners, is that we know like intuitively in the back of our head, we know that we should be doing marketing. We know it's important. We know that it's a vital piece or component of business. Um, but on the other hand, we have all of these other responsibilities, all of these other things that we know we should be doing as well. Um, you know, from operations, HR, fulfillment, um, you know, you name it, there's all of these other things that we, we should be doing as well. And what often happens is that we know we should be doing this thing called marketing, but we don't devote the time, the energy or effort to doing it. And as a result of that, what I like to analogy, I like to use is this, that, you know, imagine that we're planning a picnic and we want to go on this picnic. We want to pack some of our favorite foods to bring to this picnic, to make it a really unique, special, memorable picnic. And so what do we do is, you know, we, we go to the refrigerator, we open it up and we say, okay, you know, here's my favorite cheese or whatever. We grab it and we throw it into the picnic basket. And then we go to the pantry or the cupboard and we open it up and we say, okay, here's my favorite crackers or, or whatever the things may be. And then maybe we stop by the market on the way and we pick up a few additional things. Um, what we've done is we've, we put all these things into the basket, 
And then on the way, we kind of shake up the basket and we get there and we don't necessarily have a great picnic because what we've done is we've just chosen a few bits and pieces of things and we haven't really thought through the strategy of how these things are going to go together. And that's exactly what we do as business owners. We look around and we see you know, our competitor doing this one thing really well. So we go grab that thing and we throw it into our marketing bag, if you will. And then we look around and we see maybe um, a guru online, you know, somebody who's an influencer. They're doing this other thing. They're talking about this other thing. So we grab it and we throw it in, in our marketing bag. And what happens is we end up with all these bits and pieces of things, which in and of themselves are great things, but they're not part of a cohesive strategy or a framework, if you will. So I think that's why people end up frustrated. It's because they see all these things that should be working. They seem to be working for other people. And yet when we put them in our marketing bag, they don't seem to work for us. And the key distinction is we don't have a plan. We don't have a strategy for these things. Yes, sir. Totally. Actually, I've been through some of these phases myself, so I can personally relate to it. And uh, before that, sir, before going further, I would like to uh, tell you a little bit about myself. So before I read Full Circle Marketing, I thought marketing means advertisement. So uh, what is exactly marketing? So can you please explain to me? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I believe that most people are like you, where, where they believe that um, marketing and advertising are basically the same thing, just two different words for the same thing. And the reality is that advertising is merely a component of marketing. It's only a piece of marketing. And so there's a couple of different ways that I love to define marketing. The first is this, that marketing is your ability. It's my ability to attract and then to keep a customer. And so when I say keep a customer, I mean, how do we actually turn that customer into what I would call an evangelist for our product, our service, or our brand? Think of it as a raving fan, right? How do we turn customers into raving fans for us? And so marketing is much more than just attracting customers. It's also about how do we turn those customers into a powerful army, a powerful tribe of people who are willing to go share with others. So that's one definition. The other definition that I love to use is that marketing is a combination of psychology and math. And the reason those two things are important is this, that marketing is about persuasion. It's about convincing. It's about getting people to shift their stories about what they believe is possible or what they believe is true or what will relieve their pain or their frustration or what will help them reach their goals. That is what marketing is. And that all has to do with psychology, right? We have to understand the stories that people tell themselves. We have to understand what's going on between their ears, in their heads. The other part of that is the math part. Um, you see so many marketers get lazy when it comes to their marketing and they don't hold their dollars accountable. If you don't hold your marketing dollars accountable, if you're just taking money and throwing it you know, at marketing things and hoping that it works, you're always going to be frustrated because you haven't clearly defined what should this $1 do for my business? What should it do? What should it produce for my organization? Well, 
uh, that was some amazing response to my question, sir. And I am definitely starting to get a hint of what marketing is all about. So, so uh, in the book, I think you have mentioned that 2010 wasn't an easy year for you. So, what did life teach you in 2010? <laughs> yeah. So I've come to learn over the years. You know, I'm, I'm I guess I'm a slow learner. I uh, I have to have lots of scrapes and bruises and have to fall down and fail quite a bit for me to learn lessons. But, you know, one of the things that I would say I learned through going through 2010 is this, that, you know, we live in this world with natural laws. So an example of that, there's, there's the law of cause and effect, right? So we do something, we put some inputs into something, and there are going to be outcomes or there are going to be effects that come out of those things. And for me, I was so focused on the outcomes or the effects that were taking place that I ignored where those outcomes were coming from. In other words, I didn't pay attention to what are the inputs that are causing these outputs. And so I was focusing all my time and attention trying to change the outputs without changing the inputs. And you know that's a losing game. You're never going to win at that game because the outputs are the result of something else. So for me specifically, you know, I, I came into this business having successfully grown an, another company and sold that company off. Um, I was doing consulting work at the time. And whenever I started this business, Ugly Mug Marketing, I believed that the path would be easy. The path would be, you know, very similar to the last path. And I had gotten, you know, I let my ego get in the way. And in many ways, I'd gotten lazy in terms of what is actually required. What are the core inputs that are necessary to produce the outcomes that I want? So let me give you a specific example. In the lawn and landscape business, there was a lot of action taking place in terms of going and meeting people, in terms of putting myself, my company, my brand in front of people, a lot of intentional effort. But by the time I got to this company, I believe that I could you know, I was smarter than that. I could do things differently. And yes, there are a lot of ways you can do those things, but you can't not do those things and expect to get, you know, good outcomes from those things. So that was, that was kind of the gist of the lessons that I learned in 2010. Okay. So, so that was a quite interesting lesson. And I think that, uh, Ego is the biggest enemy of any human. So now, uh, now, so uh, whenever uh, nowadays, whenever we need any kind of advice on marketing, so we start and we look out for this marketing gurus. So who are these uh, marketing gurus and what do they do? Sure. Yeah. So when we we look around, I, I believe there's two different categories of marketing gurus, if you will. Um, one would be our competitors who we look at and we believe that they are doing well. So from the outside, when we look at them, we think, oh, wow, you know, their, their Instagram page always looks amazing. Their photographs are amazing. Their videos or reels or whatever are phenomenal. And their business from the outside appears to be successful. So we look at them and we put them up on a pedestal, right? We believe that they figured this thing out, whatever this thing is. The other side of that would be um, gurus who are influencers, maybe. So these would be people who have identified a specific thing and they've become known for that thing, um, whatever that thing may be, whether it's Instagram, whether it's you know LinkedIn, whether it's, you know, you name it, there's a guru, there's an influencer for that thing out there. And here's what's so fascinating to me about this. 
Um, it ties in kind of to the analogy I gave earlier about, you know, doing a picnic, creating a picnic. Um, if we're not careful, we will go and pick up bits and pieces from all of these people. We'll attempt to apply those things in our organization. And then we end up frustrated. We end up, you know, wasting money, all these other things that are, that are bad because we haven't put the pieces that we're picking up into an overarching strategy. Um, so I often refer to them as poster children, poster child entrepreneur. So, you know, it's the entrepreneur that ends up on the cover of all the business magazines. It's the entrepreneur that's on television talking about how, you know, they started their company from, you know, zero and they were, you know, working 24 hours a day. And, you know, magically now a few years later, they're worth hundreds of millions or, you know, whatever, they're seemingly very successful. And, you know, there's, there's two other things that come to mind when, when we see these people. Number one, we don't see the full picture. We're just getting little glimpses. Number two, the things that they're saying that made them successful, right? So, you know, when the media says, well, how did you do it? How did you grow your company so quick? How did you do all these things? Um, the reality is that we as humans, we tend to forget the pain, the trials, the suffering, our lives often ignore what takes place in the middle, right? Our memory ignores kind of this middle. Yeah. We, we think about, we remember the highs and the lows, but the day-to-day -day things, the things that get monotonous over time, um, it's those things we forget, but it's often those things that produce the success that we're after. Totally, sir. Totally. And uh, so as uh, you have mentioned about this uh, Instagram and LinkedIn and all the, the social media who are having marketing gurus. Uh, so basically, sir, what I think is that uh, because for even entrepreneurs and most people like me, for me, uh, Facebook, Instagram or Google, Google ads uh, means what we are thinking is that this is only marketing. So this might be a core ideology behind it. But uh, even after doing this kind of means Facebook, Instagram, Google ads, uh, this aren't enough to make a sale. So I guess it is because these ads are not attracting customers and attracting isn't uh, equal to selling your service or product. So what is the core re reason behind not able to convert the leads? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the biggest elements in terms of conversion is this seemingly magical word called trust, right? So anytime someone gets to the point of actually pulling out their wallet and handing us money, trust is the thing. It's the thing that's required because you or I or anybody watching or listening, they're not going to pull out their wallet. They're not going to, you know, pull out their credit card. They're not going to, to complete the transaction if they don't fully believe that the company is going to deliver the product they say they're going to deliver, or the service is not going to be delivered in the way that they think it should. Um, so there's a lot of elements around trust. The other part, so that's the obvious part. The obvious part is, you know, is the company, is the person going to deliver what it is I'm paying for? That's obvious trust. Some other areas of trust that are more subtle would be things like, can I trust that the dollars that I part with, the money I part with for this product or service, is the product or service going to be of more value to me than the dollars that I parted with, right? So when we think of a transaction, no one on the entire planet is going to pull out money and say, here's my hard-earned money. Here's 
let's just use a hundred dollars. Here's a hundred dollars for your product or service that, you know, I personally only believe it's worth $50, but I'm going to give you a hundred, right? We just don't do that. We always look at the product or the service and we say, okay, I understand. I trust that this product or service is going to be of more value to me than the money that I'm parting with, right? So think about any of the purchases that we've made in our lives. Um, we don't go just throwing money away. We don't just go spending money on things that aren't going to bring more value than the money we part with. And that is where we get in so much trouble because we as marketers, as entrepreneurs, we lose sight of this. We get so focused on the product or the service or the, you know, the marketing message. What do we say? What do we not say? And at the end of the day, I think sometimes we just need to go back to the simple thing of trust. What are we doing to communicate trust? What are we doing to show that they can trust that the money they part with is going to be a good investment, right? It's going to bring back more than the money they part with in terms of value into our lives. Yeah, uh, totally so. And uh, so there is a common dialogue in, I think, entrepreneur community or in between market marketers also, that when marketing campaigns or ads don't contribute to the bottom line, people start saying it is platform's fault that they are not able to generate a sell or a lead. So why this is happening and how to overcome this? Yeah, great question. And it's something that, that you know, so often we experience in working with our clients and people who reach out to us is, is exactly that, you know, we'll often hear, you know, I tried Facebook, it doesn't work for me, or I tried, you know, you name the platform and it just doesn't work for my business or my industry. And here's what number one is likely happening. Number one is they have no strategy. They have no plan. They look around and they hear or see that everyone's doing Facebook, or maybe they saw some guru online that was talking about, oh, you need to be you know, creating videos every day, or you need to be posting on Instagram or whatever it is. And so they start doing these things, but these things don't produce the results. And reason number one is it's not part of a bigger picture, not part of a bigger plan. Number two is so often we confuse actions, the actions we see people taking or the actions we hear them talking about with the actual asset that they're building. So an example would be, let's say we look at our competitor and our competitor is really, really good at Instagram. They take amazing photos on Instagram and you know everyone seems to engage with their photos. And so we look at that and we say, oh, if I just do the same thing, if I just take those same actions, I will get the same result. But what if we're terrible at photography? What if we can't take a good picture, right? So that may not be in our strength. Instead, if we peel back the layers a little bit. If we look under the surface at what they're doing, they're, yes, they're taking the actions of the photographs on Instagram or the pictures. But what they're really doing, the asset that they're building is they're building a responsive tribe, a responsive group of people who is excited to see what they're posting, who's excited to engage with what they're posting. And so we have to ask ourselves, okay, if we're not good at photography, but we know we need to build this asset, right? We need a responsive tribe. What are our strengths that we can capitalize on to build a responsive audience? So maybe it's video, maybe it's a podcast, right? Like we're doing here. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's newsletter. Maybe you're great at writing. Maybe it's, you know, you name it. There's, there's so many options out there, but we can't confuse the actions with the assets, 
when we get clear about the assets, it opens up the world, right? We, we're no longer tied to a platform. We, I love to say we're platform agnostic, right? It doesn't matter which platform, like I don't care which platform. All I want to know is where is your audience and how can we resonate? How can we connect with your audience? Totally, sir. And uh, before moving forward, I would like to make a small announcement. So, guys, I am pleased to inform you that we are hosting the mega giveaway of Full Circle Marketing. And to participate in the giveaway, you need to follow the instruction mentioned in the description. Okay. So now let's just get back to the show. So, sir, in the book, you have a specific focus on natural progression. So what is natural progression and why does marketer need natural progression to succeed in the long term? Absolutely. Um, so the natural progression um, is something that I observed. So I've been doing marketing, officially doing marketing for about 20 years now. And it's something that, that I just observed in terms of the way that humans make purchasing decisions. And what I realized is that often we go and we grab all these various pieces or components and we throw them all together and they don't work. And so what I realized is that we need a framework, like entrepreneurs, marketers need a framework that helps us have a structure through which we can do our marketing. And the natural progression is really just based on human psychology. Basic human psychology is where it comes from. And so what I want you to do is I want you to think about an, an analog clock, right? So it's a clock up on the wall. It's very similar to what's in your logo, right? The clock that's on your logo, um, a circular clock. And at the 12 o'clock spot on the clock, that is what we would call strangers. So a stranger is not a prospect. A stranger is not just anyone who doesn't know about you. A stranger specifically is someone who doesn't know about your product or service, your brand, but you believe they would be a good fit. In other words, they would get value from your product or service. So those are strangers. And then if we jump down the clock over to the three o'clock spot on the clock, that would be what we would call friends. Friends. So friends are people who know about us and they like us to some degree, right? They don't necessarily love us, but they're, they have this little bit of interest in our product or service you know, they're, they don't hate us. So there are some people out there who will never like you as a brand or a product or service, right? It's just, it goes against their personal beliefs. It goes against, you know, what they stand for. It, it doesn't matter. We don't need to waste our time, energy, and effort trying to convince those people to like us, right? There are people out there who will naturally like us. Let's focus on them. So we have friends at the three o'clock spot. And then down at the bottom, we have customers, so customers, those are people who've pulled out their wallets and they've handed us money. There's been a value exchange at that point. So that is the, the first half, if you will, of the natural progression. So if you don't mind, I'll just briefly explain how people flow through this. Yeah, definitely. So please. Yeah. So at the top, you know, number one, when we're clear about who the strangers are, right? The strangers aren't just everybody in the world. The strangers are people who don't know about us, but could benefit from our product or service. Those are strangers. To move people from strangers to friends, there's two ingredients that are required. Number one, very simply, they have to know about us, right? They're never going to be our friend if they don't know about us. And number two, they have to like us at some level, some degree. And so when we think about our marketing, 
Step number one, we have to think of, okay, let's get clear about who the strangers are for us. So the strangers for my business are probably going to be different than the strangers for your business, right? That's just part of understanding and being in tune with our audience. So what can we do? The first campaign is what can we do to get those strangers to know about us? That's it. That's the simple thing. What campaign, where can we put our ad? What could our ad say just to get the strangers who don't know about us to know about us? The next part of that campaign is what can we do to get the people who now know about us to actually like us a little bit more, right? So they, they've seen our ad, they've heard about us, they've read about us, whatever it may be. What can we now do to get them to increase their liking, you know, quote unquote, of us? So those are the two campaigns that are needed to move people from a stranger to a friend. And it's, it's again, human psychology, right? We're not going to be friends with people we don't know. It's impossible. And we're not going to be friends with people we don't like. It's as simple as that. Now, yeah. the, next, the next piece of that to move from a friend to a customer, right? So we're going to move from the three o'clock spot to the six o'clock spot. This is that magic word we talked about earlier, which is trust. So no one is going to go from liking us, knowing about us to handing us money if they don't trust that our product or service is going to be of more value to them than the money they're parting with. And so the question simply becomes here, what are we doing? What campaigns are we running? What words are we saying to convince people that we are trustworthy, that our product or service is worthy of the money that they've earned? That is the core campaign that's required to move from there to there. So as a marketer, if I'm hearing this, um, what I would say to you listening is that it's just simply this, you need three core campaigns to get people to pull out their wallet and hand you money. Number one, they've got to know about you. So you need a knowing campaign. Number two, you need a liking campaign. That's where you begin building that relationship. And then number three, it's all about trust. In one side note, and then, then I'll stop for a second where we are. One side note on trust is that people would rather trust strangers they've never met than to trust you or I as marketers or as business owners. They would rather trust people they've never met than to trust you or I. And the reason is this, we live in a world that is very skeptical. It's very cynical. You know, you, you think about it, you don't go on any website and order anything typically, unless you look at the reviews first, you want to know what other people, complete strangers, you want to know what they think about this product or service before you part with your money. And so when we think about our trust campaigns, it's important to think through how can we leverage what other people have said? How can we use the fact that they trusted us, right? These other people have trusted us to convince new people to trust us as well. And Everything we just talked about on that, you know, that side of the clock, everything on that right-hand side of the clock from the 12 o'clock all the way to the six o'clock, that is the attracting side of the equation. Uh, cool, sir. Uh, so, sir, uh, actually, one of the questions which had popped up in my mind while I was reading the book was that uh, one of the key purpose of any marketing campaign is to convert a customer into an evangelist. So, could you please explain who is an evangelist in marketing campaign and why they contribute the most to the success of a marketer? Absolutely. Yeah, great question. Um, 
you know, I think what you brought up is something that we as marketers, as entrepreneurs, as business owners, we often ignore. We, again, because we define marketing wrong, right? We define it as advertising, which means the attraction of new people. And so we get stuck on that side of the clock from converting strangers to friends to customers. And then what do we do? We run back and go try to find new strangers to convince to be friends, to convince to be customers. And on our marketing clock, if you will, the natural progression over at the nine o'clock spot, that is what we would call an evangelist. You could use the word raving fan. And when someone takes out their wallet and they hand us money, we then have the opportunity, if we're smart marketers or business owners, we have the opportunity to turn those people from mere customers into evangelists. Now, there's an element or an ingredient that's required there to convert people from customers to evangelists. And that is this, they have to love our product, our service, our company. They can't just like us. They have to actually love us at this point. And what's so interesting about this is if we would devote the time, the attention, and kind of the, the mental fortitude or forethought thinking through this, there are some very specific things that you or I can do as marketers to ensure that our customers not just like us, but they indeed love us. And I'll come back and dive into that in more detail if you'd like. But the, the thing when you think about the clock again, so if we have the evangelist over here at the nine o'clock spot on the clock, what, what's so beautiful about that is they then go diagonally across the clock you know, horizontally across to three o'clock and they tell their friends about our product or our service. So in essence, what we've done now is we've eliminated, when we have evangelists, we eliminate all the strangers up here, right? Because they go straight to their friends, their colleagues, their coworkers, um, whoever it may be. And they tell them about how great our product or service our company is. And that is the power of having evangelists. You know, we live in a world where Virtually every single person on the planet, it's not there, but almost everyone has this little device that they carry in their pocket or their purse or their bag called a smartphone. And literally in an instant, they can broadcast how they feel about our product or service to the world, if you will, right? To all their friends, to all their family, whether that's via social media, whether that's via messenger, whatever it may be, they can communicate how they feel about us. And we as marketers, we haven't done a good job of figuring out campaigns, figuring out methods to convince those people to be our evangelists. We haven't given them the tools to make it easy for them to do those things. Yes, sir. Uh, so I totally get to your point uh, when you told the entire process. And uh, now, sir, I just want to stretch this question a little bit further. So you have talked a lot about trust in this entire podcast. So now I wanted to know what are the some of the most common ways in which an entrepreneur or marketers break the trust of their customer. And uh, this is also true, I guess, uh, even when after we have converted our customer into a marketing evangelist. So please, can you comment on this? Sure, absolutely. Um, so, you know, trust in many ways is a currency, right? Trust is a thing that can be traded, if you will. So in other words, I can trade my trust. I trust that you're going to deliver your product or service, that your product or service is going to be a value to me. And I can trade that trust for the product or service. Obviously, money's involved as well, but I give my trust to you, 
right? It's like this transaction. I give it to you. I give my trust to you. Now it's your responsibility as the business owner, as the marketer to ensure that my trust that I've given is a good investment, that you make me good on my investment on my trust. In other words, if I order your product and I'm trusting that it's going to be a good product based on what I've learned about you and I get the product and it's not good, it doesn't work or it doesn't help me achieve what I believe it's going to help me achieve or accomplish or do whatever it may be, that trust that I've given, you have now proven to me that I made a bad investment of my trust. So what are the odds of me going and telling other people about you? Almost negligible. Almost negligible, sir. Yeah, exactly. And, And for us as marketers, we have to be aware of that, that trust is a currency that's being traded. We want to make sure that we make them look good with that trade that they've made, right? And so when they make that trade, when they actually give us their money and we begin the, the delivery process or the shipping process or you know fulfillment process or whatever it may be. Um, you know, this is where I think so many entrepreneurs get in trouble because we believe that our product or our service is phenomenal. We believe that this thing that we've created is the answer. But sometimes we approach it with with blinders. So you, if you've ever seen like uh, horse races, often they put these blinders on the, the sides of the horse's eyes to keep them focused on one thing, you know, what's straight in head. They don't want them looking at the horses beside them. But we often do the same thing as business owners and entrepreneurs. We have these blinders on that we are so focused on the positives of our product or service that sometimes we don't see the negatives. We don't hear the, the criticisms or the feedback that we need to hear that, because they make us better. And so what I would say in terms of, of how, do we, how do we fix this? Number one is we have to, number one, seek feedback, right? So feedback is a gift, but feedback often stings. It often hurts because we have to hear things sometimes that we don't want to hear, or even that we don't want to believe. So feedback's number one. Number two is we have to be clear, crystal clear about what does a reasonable customer have the right to expect when doing business with us? What do they have the right to expect? Not what do we expect or what would we expect if we were our customer, but what does the average reasonable customer have the right to expect? And until we clearly define what it is that they have the right to expect, we can never ensure we exceed expectations. Until we clearly define what they expect, we cannot exceed those expectations. We're just merely guessing the entire time. So one of the things that that I love to encourage people to do is to spend time listing out all of the points of interaction that you have with customers. So in other words, um, when they visit your website, when they go to checkout, or when they pick up the phone call, or when they send an email, or when they walk in the doors, if you have a you know physical location, they walk through your doors. Um, what do they expect at each of those points of interaction? So if they pick up the phone and call, do they expect you to answer the phone within five rings? Do they expect you to answer the phone within 10 rings? What do they expect? And until you clearly define that, you can't exceed their expectations. So make a list of all the points of interaction, phone call, walking in the door, email, um, you know, any of it, make a, make a list of all the points of interaction. 
And then ask yourself, what does a reasonable customer have the right to expect here? And then ask yourself, what do we have to do to exceed those expectations? Yeah, totally, sir. And now, uh, as we were talking about expectations, so I guess almost every entrepreneur out there thinks that uh, they are over-delivering. But statistically speaking, only 10% of customers feel that they are being provided more than promised. So can you please share your view on this particular phenomenon? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, again, it ties back to the fact that you know, for us as entrepreneurs, as business owners, this thing, you know, the business, the product, the service, it's our baby, right? We've poured our lives into this thing, to growing this thing, to nurturing this thing, to getting it to where it is today. And so we don't want to, we don't want to see the flaws in the baby, right? We don't want to see the things that make it ugly, if you will. And what, what I believe to be true or kind of where I believe we need to, to think about this is this, there was a study done here in the United States by a research group called Bain and Company. And what they did is they went around, they surveyed 4,000 small business owners here in the US. And they asked them on a scale from one to five, five being phenomenal service, four being good service, three being average, two being not good, and one being terrible. What level of service do you provide to your customers? And so they, they did this survey of 4,000 business owners. They, the results come back and 83% of them believed, business owners believed that they provided the best level, phenomenal service. That's what they believed to be true. And so Bain & Company says, um, you know, something doesn't seem right here. That, that just like, there's no way of 4,000 business owners, the 4,000 small businesses that 83% of them provide phenomenal service. Like that's just something's not right. So they went back to those same companies and they said, would you mind if we actually surveyed your actual customers? Could we talk to them and ask them what level of service? So that's exactly what they did. They went to the customers of those businesses and they asked the customers, hey, we know you do business with X, Y, or Z company. Using this scale from one to five, where would you rank them in terms of the level of service they provide? And only 8% of those customers said that they those companies provide phenomenal service. So you think about it. On one hand, we have the business owners who say, you know, 83% of them say we provide the highest level of service. And yet when we ask the customers of those same exact companies, only 8% said that they provided phenomenal service. And so there's this big gap between reality, like what is real and what we believe to be real. And until we can bring those two things together, we can't possibly exceed expectations. Well, uh, I love the way you answered the question, sir. So now uh, moving forward to our last question, which is when to read full circle marketing. Yeah, great, great question. Um, you know, I, I believe that full circle marketing really can apply to two different types of business owners or marketers. Number one, if you're just getting started and you want a couple of very clear frameworks to base your marketing on, I really believe that the book could provide value to you at that, at that stage. In other words, you're just getting started. You're not really sure what to do, which platform to use, any of these things. I believe that the frameworks that are there in the book will provide a lot of guidance in terms of helping you um, think about it very systematically. 
The other audience would be those who are frustrated with the lack of results that their marketing is giving them. Um, whether they feel it's too complicated, whether they feel it's um, too expensive, or whether they just completely feel overwhelmed, right? I don't know what to do. I've tried this. I've tried that. I don't know what to do. Um, you know, my hope and belief is that what is there in the book and the way that it's presented and laid out will give you some very specific, clear steps to take to transform the way you think about marketing. Uh, thank you so much, Wayne, sir. So that was a wonderful podcast. And uh, guys, uh, please don't forget that we are having a giveaway of Full Circle Marketing. So please do check out the details in the description section down below. And once again, sir, thank you so much, Wayne, sir, for coming on the podcast and sharing your wisdom with us and our audience. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you for the opportunity. I've enjoyed our chat. Thank you so much, sir. So until then, happy reading Full Circle Marketing. Bye-bye.